everybody welcome to your off week content for the gimme the loot podcast the dungeons and dragons fifth edition actual play podcast that continues to get to talk to some really cool people this week is the rebroadcast of our interview with zach eubank chief creative officer of hyper rpg and the creative force behind Colock, a actual play streaming series that really quite honestly has to be seen to be believed to even try to describe it would do it a disservice. And I know it sounds like I'm just being nice to somebody who came on and was a guest on our show, but holy crap, it's good. Highly recommend that you take the initiative to experience it for yourself. And look, there's no better way to say thank you to the people who come on to the show and take time to talk to us than supporting their content in every shape and form. And look, this guy has got a track record of being involved with some of the biggest actual play shows out there, and he made time, really, at the drop of a hat to talk to us. It was it was pretty cool, incredibly engaging guy. And look, I'll be honest with you, really had an impact on me as a, as a producer for the show. There are things we are trying to do from a role-playing aspect in season two that are directly inspired by this conversation. So give it a listen. Check out Colock. You'll be glad you did. A couple of reminders. Number one, this is uh, a rebroadcast of our streaming content. So there'll be a few more clicks, clacks, clocks, clums, cliggles, clobbles, and definitely at least one Colock. And as always, of course, Gimme the Loot and all its associated content is not family friendly. They, they, there's the swear words and... The, the speaking of things. Uh, so, you know, be aware of that. Cool. On that note, hope you enjoy the rebroadcast of the show. Hey, sneak attack, everybody. I had to jump out of that because I just crashed. Uh, that was weird. Um, so, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Guest Quest. Jazz, be ready for any minute. If I, if I disappear, it's not that they came and got me. It's that my computer has decided today of all days to act up. Uh, welcome. Pass. We're going to jail. No, no. Ooh, you, hey, you, hey. You've assumed full, full uh, co-host responsibilities. You're in the upper left-hand corner. You know that's how this works. Yep. Uh, oh, w- welcome to the uh, Guest Quest, uh, the t- tabletop uh, role-playing game community interview show brought to you by the Gimme the Loot podcast, the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition actual play podcast that really should have these intros down by now. Uh, joining us this week is Zach Eubanks from Hyper I- RPG and the show Colock. Zach, how are you doing, sir? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. A little tired. I walked like six miles of NAB yesterday and my legs are mush. Ooh, nice. Nice. The, uh, mush. The, uh, I just started trying to get back out of, uh, a COVID, COVID shape. Uh, I got, I got a fight camp that just showed up and, uh, FedEx decided to ship it in three separate shipments a day apart. So it's like getting a piece of your Christmas present every other day. It's worse. It's terrible. <laughs> Thanks, FedEx. Uh, joining me to talk to Zach about his show and uh, games in general are... Uh, I'm Jamie. I play Eldrin on the Gimme Dilute podcast. And I did not walk six miles. I walked about six feet to the bathroom and back. About That's about all I did today. So. Yikes. Number one or number two? What's the situation? You got it? I mean... Uh, I mean, uh, three. What's the three? Oh, my God. Is that both? That's... 
you need to see a doctor. That's that's. Oh, I am concerned, <laughs> intrigued. I don't. I'm not. Yeah. Mm. All right. <laughs> I am Jazz, and I play Fate on the Gaming Loop podcast. Um, my bathroom situation is fine. Um, however, I do wish I had gotten out and done some more walking today. I got a small walk in, walked like maybe a half a mile. So, yeah, I did. A, I did like a like maybe two miles yesterday, and then uh, I, I got. I'm still. I'm still working out on my whole rota- rotation, but I got. I got to go to uh, Discord. I'm doing. I'm keeping. Uh, trying to keep myself honest by posting in our Discord the uh my uh my workout routine so that the fans can either applaud or shame me when i fail so uh <laughs> so uh but guys we're not here to talk about that we're here to talk about hyper rpg and Koluk, a show that is doing quite a bit more than uh, a lot of your other actual plays out there uh Koluk was for- founded by former geek and sundry showrunner zach eubank uh, and award-winning game designers uh, Malika Lim Eubank and Jordan Wiseman. Uh, Hyper RPG was created to push interactive live content to new heights through the power of live streaming. And I think that's safe to say you guys are pulling that off. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> I, uh, cool, cool. I, uh, you know, I got uh, keyed into your show. Um, Dr. Friedman, who's been one of our previous guests, who actually met through Jasper's over a year ago. Um, uh, you know, live tweets, you guys, as you're, uh, uh, as you're going out there and is very, 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 um, uh, effusive with her praise. And again, if anybody, I mean, she, this is literally her field of academic studies. So it's like, okay, I'll give these guys a, a look and really kind of was blown away at first where it's like, there is, it is definitely different than anything else there. There's a level of production, but not only just a level of production, I think a level of intent that is different from a lot of other shows out there. Um, you know, a, a lot of the heart of the actual play universe, and this isn't a bad thing, is the, hey, let's get a couple of people with chemistry or with talent and play a game of D&D. And I, you know, I say D&D very specifically because I think that is the majority of the landscape. Um, you guys, I think, are, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, are more come of it, seem to be coming at it more from the direction of, hey, let's produce this show with the gaming system as a key component of it, but not necessarily... Yeah, because you put actual play in quotes even in your own description of the yeah. show. Um, it's it's more of a a tool for the storytelling than the centerpiece of it. Am I am I coming, coming at yep. this from the right side? The, the the world and the tone are the center, and uh, the dice are the chaos that dictate fate. You know, so um, and that's what's most exciting to me about TTRPGs. But that's because I come from a production and filmmaking background. And that's what really drew drew me into them was thinking of them as these entertainment vehicles and, and producing vehicles where if you get really talented people who are just zoned super hardcore into their character and you give them that ability to roll with whatever's thrown at them and and adapt on the fly and stay in tone, seeing where we could push that and where mm-hmm. we could we could uh, merge that as an entertainment platform and, and and first and foremost for us like you know since all of us uh, kind of come from entertainment backgrounds we. We want to do the best that we can do, no matter what we're doing. We're all a little crazy. We're all a little bit like insane. Um, and for us, it's kind of like we do it for us, and and like whatever we can do to push ourselves and 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 try to accomplish something mm-hmm. that we didn't even think was possible a year ago. Um, that's our goal: is to just keep pushing ourselves to see like how far can we take this. Yeah. And if somebody notices, great, that's awesome. You know that that that'd be super cool. Um, but we're you know. For to be completely, completely honest, um, we've been doing this a really long time and got bored. Yeah, uh, like we got as producers, 
Um, and like, there's nothing more like as a, as a creative producer, there's nothing more boring than having a show do so well that you don't ever touch it and you don't do anything and everybody loves it. And you're like, well, I guess we can't change anything. Yeah. Like, and we've worked on a lot of things like that. We're like, great, this is working. This is awesome. Cool. We're validated for our hard work, but also we can never touch this. This is like, you know, this is done. <laughs> we're, we're out. This is it. Yeah. And, right. uh, and then you, and, and then we get kind of restless and, and, and anxious and, uh, so we're always trying to come up with ideas to see, you know, how do we cure that? How do we make ourselves feel like we're we're doing something new and different? So you got it's uh, you, you very specifically spoke uh, spoke about your production background. You were the the showrunner for for Geek and Sundry. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, t- can you just give every if everybody's not familiar with your previous work, give everybody a heads up of the shows yeah, yeah. that you worked on. Uh, yeah, I launched Geek and Sundry's Live Network back in 2014, 15. It was a while ago. I don't remember exact date. <laughs> I know it was in March. Time is a flat circle. Yeah, yeah. I know it was in March because I remember getting the job January 1st and then having three months to, you know, just like, oh, God. <laughs> and and originally, I, originally, I got hired as the YouTube showrunner and did a couple of YouTube shows. But the whole time, the, the goal was Felicia and I had been talking about getting into Twitch and I had been I had been streaming. Uh, my brother and I had helped Greg Grunberg get his studio up and running. Um, and it wasn't really our vibe, you know, no offense to them, but yeah. we didn't really, we didn't really jive with the dude bro a little too much. Um, and I met some really great people through that. Uh, but the audience they were cultivating, I, I wasn't really meshing with it too yeah. much. And I was like, this is like on the edge of nerddom, but it's kind of like, it's, it's a little too esports for me and not mm. like, yeah. But, and it was like when esports first came out, it was trying a little too hard to be a little too like macho mm. before it kind of leveled out a little bit. I recall. Yeah, and so uh, I was very fortunate to meet Felicia on a job. My production, co- I was, I had a production company back in the day um, that I ran with Becca Scott, who a lot of people know from uh, different shows. Uh, we ran a production company together years ago, and I met Felicia on a job, and we started talking about Twitch. And it was like she was like, "I want you to come in and apply for this job," and uh, and got it, and then spent months prepping it, getting it ready, um, and. You know, we uh, we we did something pretty cool. I'm really happy with it. I'm really happy with what we built. Um, but it was also really bittersweet in a way uh, mm. because and and now I can say some of this now because Felicia's publicly come out and talked about it. And then for a long time, yeah, I've kept my mouth shut. Uh, even though Felicia and I are in super super good standing, right? And and she encouraged me to leave whenever it was like I don't think I can do this anymore. She was like, "Get out, <laughs> go." Dude, yeah. No. yeah. Uh, and now she's actually publicly kind of come out about how challenging it was to to kind of work for LDN as a as a company and just yeah. to to want so hard to focus on community as the forefront and, and that's like your main focus is like and we built that from the ground up and Twitch was awesome because it was a way for all Felicia's fans to come together in right. a live format and it felt like an old school like an a really old school IRC chat room in a way that we just happened to all be hanging out in together and. Uh, and it was successful. And then because it was successful, LDN was like, right. we're going to, you know, why would we give Twitch our money? Let's make our own platform. Right. We'll just build our own. <laughs> and all of us that were like heads of production over there were like, this is a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how dare you? We've all worked so hard to cultivate this community and this audience and you'll cut them off at the knees. Yeah. Uh, and they did. They did it anyway. And uh, I, I got out 
when I could and started Hyper uh, with Jordan Weissman, who a lot of people know, creator of Shadowrun and uh, Heroclix and all these other things, uh, with the idea of trying to figure out how to create the next form of, of content, taking what we had started at Geek and & Sundry and, and adapting it um, for, uh, for Hyper as a like interactive storytelling, getting the audience even more involved and working on tools and using the Twitch API to get the audience as close as possible. You know, like in Colock, you can go to our website and uh, you can sign up for an app that we made mm -hmm. that is mimicking an old Nokia phone that makes you a part of the forum where you can role play as a character. We got like a thousand people in there role playing as members of the world of Colock and you can hack the phone to get secret information and then send it to the players on the forum because the players are also on the forum in world. Uh, so if you find information that might help them in world, you could send it to them. Uh, you know, secret messages, secret telephone messages. We, we hit all sorts of really cool stuff in there. Um, but that's kind of our goal. It's just how do we get the audience yeah. feeling like they're a part of the world and that this is just as much their show and their world as it is ours as we're telling it. That's dope. The second you step into it, there's a different feel. And, and I think, um, and we were talking a little bit about this pre-stream, even in your role as the, as the driver, as the, the game master, basically, it's this, this, this very quiet level of just dread that you put forward and, and threat. And it is, you know, a lot of people perceive the game master player relationship is, is inherently antagonistic. And there's been a lot of work to pull back that concept <laughs> on, in, in a lot of environments. Yeah. And when you step into Colac, it's like, oh no, this is just, it just punches you kind of right in the face as you get into it. And, yeah. and it, and, 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 I, and we talk to our cast about that a lot. And when we have guests, we have to really warn them too. Like, Hey, just, you know, I think you're great. I think you're awesome. The driver may not. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, there, it, it, it is, it just gets that. I mean, there is, and try, tell, tell me, if, the, the um, not Outer Limits, somebody help me, my old brain. Twilight Zone. There it is. The Twilight Zone yeah. vibe just is right there. And, and I think a little bit more Twilight Zone than Twin Peaks, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you guys mm -hmm. are leaning, leaning a little bit more Twilight zone than Twin Peaks just from the... Uh, and I don't know, maybe if that was the costuming choice or just exactly what particular, that particular aspect of it, because a, as a whole, Twilight Zone is, you know, set in a familiar ra reality with three or four left turns. Twin Peaks is, hey, there are big chunks of it that just don't make a lot of logical sense until you really, really push through it. We got a little bit of that too. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still, early. I'm still, yeah, I'm still, yeah. I'm still early into we'll it. I'm still early. Wait till, wait till, wait till episode five. Okay. <laughs> so get to okay. episode five. Makes uh, note. Uh, there's an entire episode that, yeah, there's an entire episode that takes place in a, uh, inside of a metaphorical representation of doubt. Oh, and, nice. Um, yeah. And it's all done with, we did a, we built a surreal world in unreal. And we were doing live uh, camera tracking. Uh, we did the whole thing on a steady cam with one camera and uh, put the dice rolling into the world itself. Yeah. And um, it got, that that that's where you'll see more of, I think, the Twin Peaks connection mm -hmm. uh, through that presentation. But it, it's a lot of the, the weird stuff that I find um, interesting that we try to adapt, you know? Yeah, that is very, very very different than 99.9% .9 of the other actual plays out there. Even the ones that are producing a little bit more, 
Um, the the degree it's it's not just hey we've got a bigger budget hey we've got a set hey we come in and do costumes you guys we have a lower budget it. than pretty much every other one that I can guarantee you <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> I can guarantee you nice. any of the other ones you're thinking of we're lower <laughs> nice. Nice. well but, I, I haven't got paid a dime since I started oh, this there, so. you go. there you go but but we're the, lower <laughs> the 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 fact that you guys are going uh, you know you're, you're taking left turns constantly yeah uh, and yeah occasionally that will lead you in a circle but that from uh, from kind of what the expectations but you you are still and you mentioned it keep inserting the dice rolling into the world how how reliable are you guys with keeping the actual play portion uh, you know as you get bigger and bigger with the creativity as you get mm-hmm. you know uh, more creative with the surreal elements and the interactive elements how how important to you is it to you guys overall to keep the the kid the kids on bikes or modified kids uh, on bikes piece of it in there. Yeah, it's definitely modified. Uh, and we, and we got, uh, I mean, there's things in the background that I can't talk about, but right. it, it's, uh, it's, it's modified and it's, uh, but it's very important to me from, you know, to me, the dice and the randomness that gets provided from that. That's the point. Uh, just like mm-hmm. I'll never do it pre-recorded, yeah. you know, um, a lot of our, a lot of people that do what we do at this level started pre-recording, when when Critical Role got away with it, a lot of producers were like, wait, we can do this? Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. can do this? We would save so much money if we did it this way. Yeah. And, and they're not wrong. Uh, but to me, that kind of takes the whole point of what we're doing away. Uh, I would never do it pre-recorded because at that point, yeah. I'd be like, well, then I'm going to make a movie. Right. You know, like, <laughs> right. if I'm going to put myself on that pedestal, then I'm going to do it very different. Uh, to me, it's about doing it live uh, uh and getting that reaction from the players and the audience in real time if we're having a shared experience yeah and the players myself the audience none of us know where this is going to go by the end the amount of times that nothing i've the amount of times things i plan don't happen and this this is what i will say is the most challenging part and and why i my ulcers came back once the show started it's sticking to that spirit mm-hmm. but now having a team that's running unreal and having, uh, you know, I've built, I spend at least a couple days per week on just building new interactive kind of uh, plug-in interactions within OBS and, and macros that are going to trigger certain types of things that happen in show. But then if I do all that, and then it's like, well, I can't like, what if they don't do it? What if they go the <laughs> other way? Um, but I've been doing this long enough that I'm pretty good at manipulating yeah. the players and to, yeah. and to go exactly where I want. And that's the great thing about the driver too, is the driver is um, being presented less as a game master and more as a character. Mm-hmm. And that's for myself. Yeah. Like that, that's, I am not a actor. I'm a producer and it helps me give them what they need and mm-hmm. what the story needs by me playing a character from the start instead of playing myself as a GM. I've experimented with both. When I GM as myself, I get way too loosey-goosey. Mm. And, and by me playing this character, it helps me and the players stay in world and stay in tone because the tone is the most important thing. If everybody's on tone, I can kind of properly predict where they're going to head and how they're going to head. And if I start to let that tone get away from me and I lose it and I lose track of it, that's when things just whoosh, spiral out. Yeah. Uh, so I use the music, I use the lighting. The things that we're using on the show are just as much for the players as they are for the audience. The music, that's why we have headphones for all the players, uh, even though we're in the same room, I want them to hear that music. Mm-hmm. I want them to feel the anxiety of the scene as it's happening. It helps their performance and it helps them know what's expected of them. I can do more as a GM with my music than I can with my words. And, and especially 
after we get this part of the season, I can trigger an emotional response out of them that I want based on exactly what song I play because they've it's you know it's Pavlov, mm-hmm. the Pavlovian, it's a brilliant strategy. Awesome. Yeah, it's like I know if I play this song, all the audience is going to freak out, and then the players are also like, "Oh, here we go! All right, <laughs> let's do this!" You know, and they're they're psyching themselves up, and I can get exactly what I need out of them in that scene. Um, the most challenging part is when they have an instinct that is like, you know, and I trust them. They're amazing performers. They'll have an instinct. That I'm like, Shh, I got to follow that instinct. That is yeah. so good. And then I'm looking through my sound library and I'm like, ah, I've, I haven't made a song yet for that emotion. Oh no. What do I do? <laughs> I don't have it. I don't have it. I'll play something that kind of supports what they're doing. And that's when it falls apart a little bit. Yeah. Um, because the rest of the time it's so on point. And then when it misses, it's really hard to, to pick it back up. Uh, but, but it's all like, that aspect, the live improvisational aspect is to me the core of it. Yeah. And if you lose that, it should, it should be a movie from my perspective of what we're doing. Right. Um, and, and it would be much less surprising. And I hired, so like this season is the first season that we hired a writer to help out on. Oh, wow. Uh, Cause I was, I was extremely, extremely overwhelmed before the show started because it took us like a year to bring it back uh, and not sink our company. So, I knew I needed help um, getting stuff ready. So I hired Angelique Rockwood to come in and help out. And that was an interesting experience, but I also feel really bad, bad for her because after like episode three, every single thing is not is off the table mm-hmm. and it's, it's got a completely different show. Um, and I, and I knew that was going to happen. It happens every year. Uh, but what she brought from a character standpoint and the tools that she was helping teach me of like, you need to make sure this, kind of emotional response happens by this episode and this kind of thing happened. She was, she was giving me TV cause she's a TV writer mm. and we were able to bring those tactics into the show. And even though our story has gone way off track from what we originally wanted, I still have that outline that she presented me with and coached me through that we can come back to. And it, and it's making this season way tighter than any of the seasons we've done in the past. It's got a much better flow and it's got a much better, like you can tell that there's, Every episode, you're learning a little bit more. You're getting a little bit more. And there's the, there's episodes in season two of 90, 1991 where we meander like motherfuckers. It's just like, you know, I mean, you guys are, you 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 play D&D or yeah. GMs and stuff. Like sometimes you'll have episodes where you're like, man, I knew we were going to, I was trying to get us somewhere, but yeah. <laughs> it, we're just circling and we're just circling. And we end up talking and over the years trying to learn new, like learning new techniques. Mm-hmm to keep us on track without scripting it and, and using broad brushes to be like, okay, like, so for instance, when I give them their player notes, I'll be like, tonight's emotional word, emotional goals, um, you know, and it'll usually be two words. And, and for legacy, we're actually, um, I don't, I, this might be the first time I've ever shared this with everybody. It's structured off the seven stages of grief. So every, every couple episodes, we shift to a new stage of grief and we're working through them. And that allows us to make sure that we're hitting all the different things that we need to hit before we resolve that grief and move forward. Um, yeah, I don't think I've shared that before. That's, I, I can't remember if I was supposed to keep that a secret or not. Oh, yeah, it's out there now. <laughs> I can't remember. Hey, give me the loop. Yeah, 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 yeah. you, you heard it here first, first folks. That's our, our, our exclusive. Uh, and guys, before I talk nice about somebody, uh, let me know that they're in the chat so I don't say something like really nice about somebody and look down and go, oh my God, Friedman's here. Crap. Um, uh, no, no, the, um, the, no that's, that's fascinating, man, from the perspective of, I mean, that's such a different take, I think, not just on actual play structure, but 
writing a conceptualizing a D&D campaign in general, coming at it from the direction of TV writing and a TV writing structure, which again, makes complete sense for what you guys are doing to, you, Do you, you want to know, you want to know an industry secret. Mm. You watch a lot of TV shows that got workshopped at RPG tables. Oh, I believe that. I believe that 100%. Especially if you're, watch, especially if you're watching Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, there, are, there are writer's rooms that uh, they workshop these concepts and these characters at a table. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that, that's kind of like an insider, like, industry secret with these TTRPGs. Like, they are valuable in that regard. Now we're just kind of flipping it backwards. But <laughs> for a while, <laughs> for the screen, people have been using these things to help re- See mm-hmm. if their characters work together. Well, I, I think that the like when you're when you're when you're structuring a, a typical campaign for for D and D, especially too, you go okay, characters start off here, characters end here, and, and if you've played if you've GM'd more than once before, you go okay, if I try and draw a straight line from here to here, I'm screwed because they are going to mm-hmm. spend forty five minutes with that donkey in Village B. Because it had a, I described it as having cute ears, but, <laughs> but again, it is still very much a, you know, pull the sword from the stone, take over England. It, it is a completely different structure to go, okay, here's, this is how many episodes are in. The, again, I think it's, I think you're, you're pacing your timing and your overall story concepts are different with the way that you guys are approaching it. And I think that's, I think that's really interesting. To be completely upfront and honest, I don't think what we're doing would ever be fun for a home game. Yeah, you know, yeah, like I, yeah. I, so you know, I think if it was for a home game, people would be like, "Come on, what the fuck? I just want to. I want God mode. I want to be able yeah. to like gr- level up yeah. instead of exploring trauma every damn week." You know, like so. I, I think that you know, we're in this interesting place where a lot of people are bringing their games to the internet, and and mm-hmm. you know, and it's finding that like. Are we entertainment or are we just hanging out? Right. And, and some people have done a really good job of merging the two. Yeah. I personally have had a hard time merging the two. Right. Uh, I've, I've tried doing the we're just hanging out. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if we're charismatic enough to do it. And, yeah. you know, like Critical Role was. And, and you know, they, they had a certain charisma as a group after playing together for four years before right. I even brought them on. They could get away with that. And then I'll bring in some new actors together and we'll do it. I'm like, mm, I don't know if this is working. Yep. And this would be really fun as a home game. God, we'd be having a blast. But I don't know if it's entertainment. And so I personally find that I, my strength is more, it's entertainment. I, yep. I'm just going to go for it. But recognizing it might not be that fun at a home game. And this is like, and I'll have to tell people this because at cons, I'll, I'll set up like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll if you wanted me to GM for you, you know, I'll, I'll hang out mm-hmm. with some of our fans. But I'll have right. to tell them like, this isn't going to be what you see on right. our shows. It's going to be very different because <laughs> I believe me, it wouldn't be that much fun for you. Um, so it's, it's, it's very different, uh, it, different approaches. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's different stories that you're, you're telling from different directions, I think. And it, you know, I, that was one of the cheats that I used when I put Gimme Loot together is I was lucky enough to have, Oh, Hey, here's four or five people with the exact right chemistry that I want for the weird satirical story that I want to tell beforehand. Let's convince them to do a D and D podcast. So that that was such you know such a, an easy shorthand coming into it, mm-hmm. and and having been on a couple other and and you know, working on a couple other side projects, I'm like, this just feels so completely different. I'm like, oh, because we're starting from scratch as a cast. Like, there's none of that you know level of just un a completely unbridged, unabridged, unmitigated shit talk and trust that exists in a group of people that have been working together mm-hmm. or playing together totally. for five or six years. So, 
And um, so, yeah, it's it's it is an interesting take and it's an interesting challenge. And you guys very much are the the juggler that decided, hey, you know, what would be really cool if instead of balls, these were chainsaws, because you really have added some additional. OK, let's let's take the challenge of narrative storytelling through improv with dice rolling and add a technical element and production element to it that, you know, what, what's the worst situation you've ever had? With a, with a technical difficulty going wrong, and and were you guys how, oh the how, live stream going out Twitch uh, Twitch just right. going offline. I mean that that's the ultimate worst. Everybody's worked their asses off, worked super hard, yeah. sleepless nights to get the show ready, and then the server goes down. Oof. You know halfway through the Damn. show or OBS crashes. Uh, you know, uh, yeah that that's a, that's the ultimate worst because like other stuff will work around. Yeah. You know, like ever something goes wrong every episode. And I expect it to. What we're doing is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Something will go wrong. Mm. Uh, the tech we're using and the way we're using it, it's not meant to do what we're doing. <laughs> um, you know, like I, I'm, I'm sometimes triggering, like we, we've got 200 scenes in our OBS and I'm triggering certain macros that have 150 commands that are doing all sorts of crazy things and making Jeez. one overall thing happen for the audience. But if the if the hot key that Stream Deck's supposed to trigger doesn't go, well, then that part of the effect doesn't work, you know? And for instance, this last episode last week, um, my, uh, in the middle of a character reveal, um, you know, we had, we had a, uh, we played with a couple of sight gags on set where we had um, our actress uh, playing an assassin hiding under the table. And then she was going to crawl out and stand behind them as a silhouette. Um, and we were able to get the lighting cue down. We were able to get the fog cue down. But my effect, I had an effect that replaced the blacks with stark reds. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I went to trigger it and my stream deck had crashed. Mm -hmm. And I had no access to my stream deck until uh, we went to our mid-show and I had to like instruct my tech director on how to go into the Windows processes, end it from there, restart it, and and all that stuff. Because I'd, I'd had that bug once before. We're just closing it doesn't do it. You have to go into the processes and do it that way and do a hard shutdown. But that something happens every week. There is at least a tech issue every week because what we're doing is not designed to be done this way. And <laughs> something will happen every week. Uh, but you just got to roll with it. And that's trusting your actors and everybody else to just you know like and and that's the goal for us the the tech and everything it's the icing mm -hmm. uh the story it, it's the layers you know it's the cake so as long as that's there if one of my tech things fails one of my effects fails it, it happens every again every week so i've because i've got so much stuff planned every week something fails but the audience would hopefully never know it uh, because the story is what is solid and that's what's holding you there. And that, and that's important to us knowing that the tech should never be the show. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the story should be the show. And then the tech gets to elevate everything that's happening and, and just make it all better. So let's talk a little bit about the system that you guys are using and, and where it started back in 91 to where it is now. Did um, cause I, I just started dipping into the 91 series and it seems a little bit more like traditional kids on bikes, whereas mm -hmm. Colac yeah. is a, um, a, a more power forward modified version of that. Um, then with the tokens, like, Hey, you've got a limited number of tokens. And when you run out of those tokens, that's it for your, not just for your powers, but for your characters. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. 
what brought you to the kids on bike system? Um, I, you know, I've played a couple of games in that recently. It's a system that it, I I'm slowly falling in love with, um, for a couple of different reasons, but can, what, what sparked that choice? How did you guys come to that? And then what's been the yeah. evolution mechanically? Um, we've, we test a lot. Um, you know, after I had the, the idea for, uh, Colock 1991, it was probably another year before we actually launched it. Um, and always thinking, okay, what's going to be the right thing for this? I never thought it would be kids on bikes at first. Um, you know, cause before that I was doing, I did a tin candles series that's in the same universe and tin candles was is so good for narrative storytelling. It's, it's one of the best. I mean, the parameters are set for your players from the get go. You're, you're like, it's, a, it, I mean, it's a story, it's a system built around losing and dealing with that, that trauma of losing, you know, you're going to fail from the moment you start. And that can be super cathartic. And it allows you some freedom to explore very deep and heavy things within that system. So that system is hmm. brilliant for that. Uh, and we just test a lot. I mean, we look, uh, Malika, my wife, the CEO of this company, she's a game designer, uh, and we we play a lot of games. She's written on some systems. We have a lot of friends who write for systems. So we're always testing, and we're always trying to see like what supports the narrative and the way that we want, because we know what the show is that we want. We got to find a system that supports that narrative structure. And Kids on Bikes ended up being the one that I was attached to the most because of its sliding scale of critical verse. Um, Someone oh, someone's at my front door. Apologies for that. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, we have a show about start. I was like, Oh, what's going on? Oh, that's right. Uh, so the, what I like the most about it is the, the sliding scale of success and failure, mm -hmm. you know, like your, your criticals are a difference of six, not yeah. a critical on your role or a fail on your role. So if I set a difficulty of seven and what I liked about this is it allowed this tempo of the story to always be moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, and it allowed, and it allowed failures to not be failures but exploration pieces um you know it's like it only supports the narrative you failed three you know at a difference of three instead of a difficulty of five so it's not gonna be the worst possible thing that could happen right. um and it just supports that speed especially allowing the gm to just set a number value uh speed wise it allowed us to keep the tone um and allowed us to keep up and then i can play with that tone once we establish the rules and we establish that that's how the driver system is going to work. And because kids on bikes works that way, where I'll just say a number. If I ever have to pause to do a roll, it, mm -hmm. it changes the, the pacing and creates more tension instead of it being a thing where we're always stopping for me to roll and to check those things. Yeah. So I, I really liked it from a, a speed and tempo standpoint. Mm. Um, I liked it. We tested out its feature for how the book itself used powers uh, in our play test and, and decided that that didn't necessarily work best. Um, and we decided to modify it to where the audience could give the players tokens mm -hmm. instead of them being rewarded tokens. And we kind of changed how group actions and things like that work. Cause at the end of the day, we're an audience funded channel. If the audience isn't funding it, we can't afford to even do it. Yeah, and we still right. lose, we lose money every, every season. It, you know, it comes in negative, but it, we got to make up as much as we can on the right. way. So, right. you know, and that, and that makes it a little less true, but we make sure that those things are additional. It doesn't hinder the show. It doesn't make the show not be entertaining anymore because they don't have access to these things. So we had to make sure that these extra abilities felt like abilities and things that right. could fundamentally change what was happening. So it felt powerful for the player and the audience. Um, so that's the thing we mess with the most. And then coming into this season, we made a lot of changes because we've mm -hmm. been playing it for two years. Uh, we knew 
you know, we changed one of the stats to cognition. Um, and that was like, you know, it's like, I don't know. Did we ever even use that other stat? Did we ever use, you know, and, and we realized we didn't. Uh, so mm-hmm. like, well, let's change it. What do we, yeah. what do we think will be more? And we knew that ascended our, our, because our show Colock is split into two segments, ascended and legacy. Um, and we wanted the structure of the system to support the narrative and ascended is, um, supposed to be representing people who were born into trauma and being told that they have to go out and fix the trauma, uh, of the world by the people who created it. Um, and that meant that the system needed to work a little bit differently. They were more action forward orientated and we need to make sure that the system supported a little bit more action mm-hmm. and movement, uh, which is the opposite kind of of how kids on bikes work. So we had to change a stat or two yeah. and how we were going to approach the things and creating like, you know, if something is a stress uh, action, you're not going to be able to use tokens to increase your role afterwards, that kind of stuff. And then for legacy, we completely rewrote how it works because they're all trapped in their brains uh, inside of a simulation, exploring the trauma of their past. Um, so we treated it much more like imagine you were in a therapist chair and what are the different kind of actions you could be using to avoid your reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have stats mm-hmm. like avoidance, defense, attack, um, you know, things that are like, what are the different ways that you, and adapt, adaptive, you know, how adaptive are you to the mental situation you're currently present in? Uh, and Abria jokes that it should be called like adults on couches instead of kids on bikes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, it, it works, you know, it's, it, it has to support the story and, mm-hmm. you know, we had to change, change the system to support the narrative structure and what, what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, it's, um, it, it can be. Uh, and I, I encountered this a little bit in jumping on and we, again, this is one of the things we were talking about kind of backstage was it, it, it's set up to, for new players to be, for new viewers to be able to jump in at the start of each season. It, it, you know, you're, it's recommended that, hey, season three, start at the beginning of season three. Don't go back and watch 91. Don't go back and watch the previous seasons. Yeah, jump it's right a new in. season, jump in. Just go. There, it's, so, it's by design. You will be confused. That's okay. <laughs> so, so if anybody, uh, if any of our Discord or any of our people are watching it, uh, we we're gonna follow. And I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna attack it from that direction because I did, I did the okay. I feel like I'm missing something, and that's exactly what J- Z- uh, Jazz texted me. Is like, dude, am I missing something? I was like, well, hold on, let me go back and watch some '91 and see if it makes any more sense. And it won't. <laughs> it, 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 it was like, well, maybe when I get later into the uh, into the season, but um, yeah, I'm gonna. So if if there, so would you? Uh, so let's say somebody jumps into season three, they love it. Is go back and well, I wouldn't what, call it season three. I okay. would call it uh, just Colock. Colock. Okay. Don't, yeah, yeah Colock okay. 1991 was season one and two, um, and uh, and just Colock for this new season. Okay, and uh, but yeah, yeah, you can you can jump right in, and you know that's it is a mystery sci-fi horror. Yeah, um, and it's supposed to be you are supposed to feel as a viewer as the players feel at the table, mm-hmm. um, and that's part of to me the power of this kind of storytelling. Yep. It is a real-time interactive that is what we wanted to explore and why we wanted to try this kind of surrealist horror is we can actually make you just like the players be just as lost 
just as confused. The kind of thing you could never do on a TV show and get away with for this long. Because uh, people would eventually be like, get old, stop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you're able to make this kind of parasocial relationship with the people at the table. We know that's going to happen and we play with it all the time and we break that meta constantly. We know you're going to do it. We know you're going to form those connections. So we'll, let's subvert it yeah. and let's let's toy with it and let's let's dance around it. And, and make you like the players experiencing something that you weren't expecting and, and not know how the world works. And you have to discover it as you go and, and keep digging deeper. And that's why we have this metagame that the chat can play. Mm -hmm. They're digging at the same time that the cast is digging. They have some control over their own narrative. So did you guys, and as part of that testing process, did you guys brush up against Cthulhu or, or Call of Cthulhu at all? Was that one of the systems you considered? It, yeah. or, or, and what? Yeah. I mean, there's, it's a completely different system than kids on bikes, completely mm -hmm. different strengths and weaknesses. Um, what is, was the, was it just not as narratively welcoming as kids yeah, on bikes yeah, for what it, you guys wanted to do? A little, a little, uh, a little crunchy for mm -hmm. this kind of show. Yeah. You know, having, we needed a little, we needed some freedom. We need a lot of freedom uh, to, to, to dance loosely around certain things. So we needed is like, we needed a system that kind of got out of its own way as much as possible. And I think, and I think it's important to remember too, that like a lot of these systems were originally designed not for storytellers to be playing, mm -hmm. but for people who want to learn how to be storytellers. Yeah, They're, they're designed to help you get into the mind of who you're portraying through all of this crunchiness to like, yeah. you may not be able to be the type of person who can just imagine every aspect of a character. So let's break it down for you. Let's give you the ability to mold it in your mind and, and go that way. And when we're working with like really talented actors where we've got writers and we've got people and we're making the show, those things end up in just getting in the way mm -hmm. because they've already got all that figured out. They're yeah. ready to go. We just needed something that allowed us to roll dice and keep moving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting, man, because D&D, I mean, it has its roots in wargaming. It was originally, mm -hmm. hey, man, this miniature is seven inches away from this miniature, which means this archer is going to have to have a minus five to hit. And even in its fifth edition, with his, definitely much more storytelling story friendly than it's ever been, you can still True. see that strong backbone of, hey man, we still here's here's your action economy. Here's how it breaks down. Have you used a push action lately? We it's been once I've seen it used once in the the year and a half since I've been back into D and D, and he failed, and it's he will, will never let him forget it. Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll call it jazz. Jamie, questions. Uh, I was just curious, like as a player that's totally unfamiliar with kids on bikes, if you have mm -hmm. any advice for someone who pretty much comes from just a strict Dungeons and Dragons background on how to approach that. Uh, it, it's very easy. I mean, we actually have one of uh, our audience members in your chat room who's a teacher and he started teaching his uh, students in grade school how to play. And I think kids on bikes, they have a bunch of free material up on their website. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, like the same thing I would recommend for anyone playing any system, uh, encourage play, yeah. you know, and, and just shutting off the world around you and, and getting lost in something. And that's the best advice I can give for anybody on any system. Just shut everything off and, and, 
go dive in, you know? How, how pre-planned, this is going to get a real crunchy question. Sorry, but this is where I, this is where I go with kids with, with this, the system that's the root of y'all storytelling. How pre-planned are your DCs as they come up through the story? Because Never, okay, just off the hip, <laughs> man, that, coming from Dean and this is maybe, I know you said you didn't have a really deep D and D background. This was the hardest thing for me to wrap my head around coming mm-hmm. into kids on bikes and, and that type of system is a a seven is a totally reasonably challenging DC for a mm-hmm. lot of characters, whereas it's a cakewalk in D and D. And Jazz, yeah. uh, you, Jamie, so the way the stat, the way that you've got the stats are, and I'm assuming you guys are doing the same thing. You instead of having a number, you assign a dice. So it goes D twenty, D twelve, D eight. D10, yeah, you D4, have a stat yeah, block yeah. for like you. You use one die each, and this is again why it made it really easy to work with actors because yeah. we could just draw little boxes in front of like your brains are this, this is this. Roll your brains, you roll that die. Yeah, uh, and you just set a as a GM in the moment you set a a value to it, and and I have like certain things that I repeat mm-hmm. sometimes in terms of like eh, these kinds of things are usually this, yeah. you know. Uh, but you also as the GM are making a call in real time along the lines of. Who's trying to achieve this? Are they using the stats they should be using? This is going to be more difficult for them. Not only because they're using a die that doesn't really work for them. It's just like, I'm going to, as a, and, and the more that I get that across to the players, the more it's helping them tell a better story too. Because if you're just a character who's constantly using your worst stat to try to do this thing, you're not playing your character right. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not being your character very well. Um, you're not living in that character. You're trying to butt up against it and you're trying to fight against it. Now, if that, I can make that a narrative thing. I can, you know, it's like we have a character named Mallory Jenkins who has the lowest charisma. Um, but in this system, you have exploding dice. So your mm-hmm. lowest stat is most likely to explode. You have a 25% chance to get to roll it again. So it creates great narrative moments where the thing you're supposed to be worse at narratively ends up being the thing that you could roll the highest on because it's a 25% chance to explode. So that leads to very good comedic moments, storytelling Mm -hmm. moments where I know like, okay, this is a situation where this is his worst stat, but I need to break up the tension. I'm going to make this character roll their charisma because it's their worst stat. And I have a 25% chance that he's going to blow that stat out of the water and do really well. And it creates a great comedic light moment for the audience and for the players. It relieves a little bit of tension. Whereas, you know, but it makes everybody think, oh, that's my lowest stat. Oh, no, oh, no. And it creates tension beforehand. Mm-hmm. And then you get the release of the tension. So, yeah, it's uh, so Jay, exploding dice, Jamie. So when you roll that D4, anytime you roll the highest value on your die in Kids on Bikes, it explodes and you get to re-roll it and keep keep doing so until you hit a hypothetical DC. So a D4, obviously, you can keep rolling fours how how many how what's the most ex- times a dice has exploded on the show consecutively we got up to 44 good God. Think, well not how many times it <laughs> how many times it exploded right but the the total value number was 44 so that's uh, 11 yeah for a d4 yeah. for uh, 11 times okay rolling for yeah and it was mallory it was and and what ended up happening is he was trying to uh in story, one of our characters' dads was trying to be like, what are you kids doing? You know, you're not supposed to be like, what are you, you're not supposed to be out here kind of thing. And he was trying to charm the dad to be like, no, it's cool. Um, but because it's a difficulty of six, he exploded that so much. And uh, the dad ended up kissing him. Uh, and it created <laughs> a, a moment where things got a little hot and heavy. And... Uh, and uh, and then we got to build that into the story that uh, 
we 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 got to like immediately roll that into a character thing where um, <laughs> this character's dad ended up having an affair with his dad years ago, and it was it was great. It was great. It was all, but you know, those exploding dice they lead to some great moments. How, how and, and again, I'm still early into into the into the show. How mm-hmm. important are those humorous moments for for you? Because you got, I mean, again, there is a, a pervasive level of dread when you come into it. And I'm not a big horror guy. It, mm-hmm. Really, honestly, what has made me start to appreciate horror is Mayday Play and some of the other uh, Cthulhu. Um, uh, pod, uh, podcasts and streams out there because I'm I'm a, I'm wired to be a sucker for jump scares. So like mm-hmm. like and, and TTRPGs you can't really do jump scares. You can't scares. you can't do them. So I'm like yeah. okay here's a genre I I finally can approach from this direction yeah. and yeah. I, you know that that's one thing I, I, I feel like we should all be calling it suspense because it, it, it's okay. really hard to do horror yeah. on a TTRPG but but horror gets you more clicks than calling something suspense. That's true. You know so yeah. <laughs> you know our suspense show it's like yeah of course you are but. You know, it's we can create a tone, yeah. And I think for people who say they don't like horror, like Kolok is a great place for that because we'll we'll creep you out. We might get you get under your skin a little bit, yeah. but you can't really do jump scares. You can't right. like you can't trick things mm-hmm. the way that you can a movie. And and that was a fun challenge that we talked about a lot on the production team. And and I wrap my head around constantly, and I'm like, well. I just got to creep you out and I got to keep you in a tonal world. I want to give you goosebumps more than I want to make you mm-hmm. like, Wah! you know, cause I can't, I, I don't have those tools available yeah. uh, within this kind of storytelling. And and I think it works. I think it's a, I think it's a really exciting format for just getting you a little creeped out and making it sit in your brain for a while afterwards and uh, making you think about it. It, it works. And, and it, it's got, you know, like that's the, one, the only horror movies I can go back and watch are the, like the changeling, the, the seventies horror movie where it's the old man mm-hmm. in the haunted house. Mm-hmm. And it, that is just, again, that kind of low level of suspense and dread throughout. And I dig the hell out of that movie. That's the vibe that you guys kind of emanate. And, and again, I can appreciate it and I can jump into that. So it makes it, it it's the most approachable kind of uh, calling suspense approachable or what you guys do it is it pays a disservice for the t- tone that you're setting but it, that is kind of the endorsement that i give is like hey man if, if horror is definitely not normal your thing for any number of reasons give this a shot you will appreciate yeah. it it will keep and, and it does get dark i yeah. will warn people yeah it gets no, it dark. Does. yeah it's very dark we have a lot of really messed up talents i can't wait for you all if you keep watching to see what happened to our character a woot last episode because that's a character and this has been really fun for us this season one of our goals was when we have guests come on, we want to try to pull in as much from their cultural backgrounds as possible mm-hmm. um, and, and try to like, we, we want the show to be as diverse as possible, not just in representation of faces, but representation of story. Because um, my job's hard as a DM. And I'm like, I, I got to come up with shit every week. And it's like, we have a lot of untapped stuff. And the most exciting thing is to be like, what are we not exploring in this space? Where can we go to? And it's always, of course, people of color stories because they don't get enough attention in this space. Uh, and so we try to have people when they're coming in with their characters, be like, what's something from your cultural history that you want to bring into this kind of storytelling? And boy, do people then bring in stuff. I'm like, that's fucking awesome. That's so good. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And, and Malika brought in some stuff from Thai folklore that I was just mm. like, this is, this is sick. It's so dark. It's yeah. so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fucked up. 
Drieken asked, and I think you talked to this a little bit because, again, as a producer, I think it it was your call, but was it difficult to convince people to be involved in a show using a relatively unknown system like Kids on Bikes instead of going with a more safe system like D&D? But I think you spoke because you guys were so story-focused from the get-go, right? No, and, and, and we, you know, like... We don't have to convince people anything. We own our IP. We yeah. own our our content. And I think I have a very, um, I'm going to give you a, a, a not very professional, professional answer uh, that I shouldn't give as a professional, but it's from a professional standpoint is what I'll say. Um, I ain't doing D&D unless they pay me. Yeah. <laughs> because they're a client. Yeah. Uh, I... I've made things for Hasbro. We created the Power Rangers official like first season of a live show and 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 all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, Hasbro pay me. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, like you got money. I'm not shilling for Hasbro anymore. Like I've done so so from my standpoint as a professional working in the industry who has Hasbro as a client, my my standpoint is like yeah, we're, we're at a point in our working relationship. If you want me to use your system, like we, and we did, we did a, a D and D wrestling show called D and DW that was, uh, with, we had, you know, Xavier Woods on there and some other wrestlers and, and we had a lot of fun with it and we got to make it like D and D meets the WWE. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're a client. So I'm like, I, I, yeah, I'm not, I would much rather highlight indie systems. Um, and, uh, and, and give them a chance to get more audience and, explore more indie systems than I would D and D because they got plenty of promotion there. Everybody's promoting D and D. So they got enough. I, I'll promote anything else. Uh, Saga asks, and, and again, this may be an unfair question. Who's the most interesting guest y'all have worked with this season? Um, let's, well, okay, let's burn so, some bridges real quick and say, who's more interesting <laughs> than everybody else. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, no, it's fine. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really bad at looking backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good thing for my work. Bad thing for when I get asked questions on podcasts all the time. Because in my mind, I'm always like, whatever I do next. Yeah. Whatever's next week. I don't have time <laughs> to think about what we did two weeks ago. Literally, like when we have guests here, it's usually like, okay, thanks. Bye. And then we get back to work rebuilding the set because we have another show the next mm-hmm. day. You know? So mm-hmm. it's like, we don't get to just sit there and be like, you know what? That was... Yeah. Damn, great. You know, next week, uh, we got to go. We got to get a new guest. Who's our guest? So we don't have too much time to reflect. Um, yeah, show amnesia like, is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, but interesting, um, you know, from a storytelling st- standpoint, uh, Gina Darling was a lot of fun. Uh, she's brand new to TTRPGs. She was on B Dave's uh, welcome uh, or uh, invitation to party on G4. Yeah. Um, and that was her first instance. And then, uh, you know, we talked to her about coming in to play the parent of one of our characters. Um, and then we got to tie that into the memories of the other cast. And, and she was a lot of fun because it was a very new, like, experience for her. But uh, we got to play with her strengths and play to her strengths as a performer. And, and because we're exploring memories, we could jump around to different moments and just focus on the, like, best moments for her. Right. And... Uh, she was great. She was really, really exciting um, because it was, she was so new to it. She came in with no preconceptions. And honestly, that's the best because what we're doing is so different mm-hmm. that the hardest people to put on the show sometimes are people who have a ton of D&D experience mm-hmm. um, because they have a lot of preconceived notions of how a live play works. And then they're especially like um, 
we're trying to create kind of an experience that traps an audience member within the first person of like more like an audio book or an audio drama. So mm-hmm. I always tell my guests, don't ever say my character does. Yeah. Don't ever say that. Uh, you say I, and I also instruct my players instead of telling me as the GM, and this is the, this is the hardest thing for a person who plays a lot of D and D to get over because it's programmed into them. I'm always telling them, don't look at me and say, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. We're creating a story together. Look at one of your teammates that's sitting next to you and say, okay, I'm going to go over here behind this barrel and I'm going to set a trap yep. and, you know, so watch my back. And then I can say, roll your brains for me. Difficulty of seven. Yeah. And because I know what their intention is. I know what it is they're trying to do. And that allows our story to stay within the narrative and keep it moving forward without breaking that tone and without breaking the moment and, and just keep the, keep it moving forward. And that's the hardest thing for somebody who has a lot of experience to break. Cause they're going to like, okay, I'm going to, they're going to look right at me and be like, all right, I'm going to do this. And you can see it on our show. You can tell immediately when you watch our show, who's played D and D the most yeah. and who hasn't, <laughs> you'll know it immediately. Yeah. Um, and then they're always after the show, like, ah, shit, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. There it, it is. Like I've spent a year yelling at people to stop count, asking me how far something away is from something in, in the podcast. It's like, dude, don't ask me ranges or count squares, please. <laughs> Especially when we're, we're, we're doing it. And that's, and that's really one of the reasons why we don't live stream to engineer that particular piece of it out because it is and it's been it's been a lot easier and and i say this with all the love in my heart jess it's been a lot easier for my non D players who've pot with podcast experience to learn how to play D than it has been i think for my experienced D players without podcast experience to get to shed some of those habits for narrative storytelling it, it, not not to a detriment either way it's just one instinct's a little bit easier to shed than the other i think if it, if it makes people feel any better when i first went and uh watch critical role play before they were critical role and they were playing pathfinder in their their living room and it was to see if it would work as a show. Um, there was a lot of notes of like, if we're going to do this, you can't do this. You can't do this. You yeah. can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And 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 they they knew that they were about to make a decision that was going to change the way they played as a group. And yeah. they were totally on board. But, you know, it's that kind of like, it's a show. So they were like, yeah, I guess we won't sit there and, oh, it's not my turn to do combat. I'm going to go to the bathroom and I'm going to like, you know, and, and we talked to them a lot about, you know, especially since we were doing it in a, in a wide multicam setting, you never know when your face is on camera. So always be reacting. Yeah. Always be listening. Always be reacting. Uh, and because uh, you never know if someone's going to be watching you instead of watching the person talking. So you have to be an active listener. You can't be on your phone. You can't be eating Cheetos. They still eat the Cheetos, but you can't like, <laughs> you know, you got to like, you have to be an active listener. And and I think, you know, that's one of the best notes I can give. Yeah, that's that's the benefit of doing it for the podcast is somebody can can cast power word kill on you and you can mutter <laughs> about it and go get a snack and come back 15 minutes later. Um, yeah, and they don't know. <laughs> not, not saying that that happened recently, but that happened recently. Uh, yeah, yeah. You and, brought it on yourself. <laughs> No, no, I didn't. That was completely you. It was a dick move. Gia Ka or Gia California. Uh, who would who would be a guest? Who would be a guest you would love to have that's not been on the show yet? Oh man, I got a long list, and believe me, I'm in their agents' emails. <laughs> <laughs> they got their their agents got stuff in their inbox. They're not responding to. Uh, there's a long, long list, and it's hard because I, I you know, like. There's people that mm-hmm. I'll I'll say and then they they might end up. I mean, yeah. Um, we we have a really big episode coming up at the end of the season. Um, that's 
This will be the first time I've announced this too. I'm giving you guys a bunch of juicy stuff. Nice. I'm giving you some juicy nice. stuff. Nice. Um, yeah. Look at that. Hey, this is what this is what happens when nobody else contacts me for press. I'm gonna give you guys <laughs> the best press. All right. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, we got to clip and re-release all of this. Oh shit. <laughs> um, we're planning on doing uh, one of the things we did in season one and two were these council episodes, um, which were like um, we recreated an actual city council where it was like 40 people role playing as members of the town and they're all playing chat room created characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so we hired 40 actors to come in from the TTRBG community. Uh, and they've got these like one sheeters that we made that are like, here's your character background. And here's the questions that you're supposed to ask that the audience members um, talked about. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was really fun. And it was a huge, it was very stressful. Um, and it was a lot of work, but everything we're doing in this new iteration of Colac is supposed to be bigger and better and crazier and more ambitious. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be doing a council of the gods episode um, where now it's all the gods having a council meeting to talk about the events that have been happening and whether or not they should interfere. And uh, what else for the people or fans of the show that are listening, it'll be taking place in the house of night and day. And let's just say our studio is not big enough to do it. So that's what we're working on right now is it will have to be at a completely different location and the we need really good security for the people who will be involved. All right, you uh, you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, uh, uh, shout, it's gonna be wild. Shout, so that's what I'll say. The, my the people I really want on the show, they'll be on the show at the end of the season. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, Shadow, and I'm going to say this wrong. Uzumaki, 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 uh, Spiral. Uzumaki, can, can, uh, Genji Ito, yeah. <laughs> can you uh, speak more about how you ensure your players are all right when you're going into the deep, dark themes? Uh, we have a lot of tools at the table. Um, and by tools, I mean, look at me and... <laughs> mm, um, we always talk before the show of like, hey, I'm thinking about going this route. Um, you know, uh Let's have a conversation about it. You know, I'm, and it's interesting. And, and Malika and I were just talking about this the other day. We're kind of on the fence with um, certain like X card check sheets that people do um, because it's a double edged sword, mm-hmm. you know. And and it's easier for me to talk about this, of course, from my my privileged position. Mm-hmm. But it can be tough sometimes because those checklists in themselves can be can be a little like uh, I don't want to sit here and think about if I want to approach this, you know, like some of the questions are like, are you okay with abortion? Are you okay? You know? And it's just like, well, yeah. I, th- this is, um, this is challenging because it's like the questions themselves. Like I would never expect without being discussed with my GM that these things are going to come up in a story, but by giving me this worksheet, now I'm having to sit here and think about these <laughs> things, which yeah. is almost like, I don't expect to have it in the game, but now I'm having to think about, yeah. am I okay with yeah. sexual assaults? And, and, and of course not. Um, and if we know each other at the table, we, we should know that about ourselves. Right. And I think a couple of bad actors made it seem like that was something that everyone should be asked of. Yeah. And, and I don't know if that's the case. You know, I think that it should be a discussion. It should be a conversation. Uh, so we have, we always check in and have conversations with our players and ask them, you know, what are your no's? What, what, what you tell me, don't sit here and think about all the things you've been through in your life. And let me ask you, mm-hmm. Hey, are you cool with this? Yeah. Um, but I'll have them tell me like, what are your no's? What, what are your hard no's that, you don't ever want to encounter. Uh, and it's, you know, I know what those are and I have those in a sheet and I make sure that those people, you know, and some of them are really interesting. And, and if they're not a hard note, then I'm going to use it. You know, yeah. if one of my players is like, I'm scared of dolls 
And uh, then I'm going to be like, okay, well, the first villain you encounter is going to be a person that carries a doll. <laughs> going like, to be a doll. <laughs> yeah. There's a doll don't coming. Don't tell me that you're scared <laughs> of dolls. Don't tell me that. Um, is that a hard no? No, it's not. Okay, then. Yeah, I'm using it. Uh, but it's just checking in. Yeah. Just checking in and always making sure that you have a conversation. But that's also, I will not do Colock Remote. Um, it's a dark show with very heavy themes. I need to be in the room with my players. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to make eye contact with them and have those check-ins. I am not comfortable doing it over Zoom. Yeah. I'm not comfortable. That's like myself. I'm not comfortable going that dark with people in a way that I can't check in visually in real time. And and no, and we have like our cameras in the studio. Um, our cameras in the studio have red lights on them, you know, which what's the active camera. So I know if that camera's not on me. And, I, and when I see that camera move away and I know that I'm not currently in frame, I can look across the table at one of the people. Like, you know, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. We'll keep going. You know, and, and there have been times in this season where somebody's looked at me and been like, yeah, I'm okay. All right. We can pull off of this now. And it's like, okay, we pull back. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's important uh, to have that kind of stuff. But I, I can't do Colock remote. Yeah. I had a lot of people in the pandemic be like, why hasn't Colock come back? Why aren't you doing Colock? And I'm like, I'm not comfortable. I, I'm down to do something fun. Yeah. And, and, but it's so dark. And we do some really traumatic stuff on the show. And I, I don't trust myself to see their cues. And then I would ruin a relationship with the person I respect and trust. And I don't want to be in that position for me or them. That's really dope that you put that level of care to it. Oh, I got to. I got to. I, I don't want to put anyone in that position because it it gets weird. It gets weird. Yeah. yeah, it's you know the the I think the veils and the shadows and veils, lines and veils, lines yeah. and veils. There we go. A system is great for hey, I'm DMing for a group of strangers um, in a pickup game or as a service. But yeah, yeah, once once you go into a deeper relationship with the breadth of creativity that you guys are trying to bring to it, especially on a suspense show horror show, uh, then yeah. then yeah, I think. It obviously becomes a little bit of a a different conversation, but I, I do think. And, and I, I will tell you, it's been a fun experiment to see how you can bring the ultimate traumas and fears out of people without approaching things that shouldn't be at a table, mm-hmm. like sexual assault. Yeah, you know, and and those things like. It's better for me as a writer to be in these positions where we have to come up with things that have to. You know, in a, in a TV show, you're not sitting there while you're writing it, having to look at the people who have to perform it, mm-hmm. you know, and that like it forces you as a writer to have to be, okay, we got to think outside the box here because mm-hmm. we're trying to match these same levels of trauma and these same levels of like, so how do you do that? How do you represent something just as deep and traumatic without putting somebody through it and putting them in a position that should never exist at a table and mm-hmm. a like GM player kind of like dynamic. Uh, so it, I think it's a good challenge. I, I really do. And I, I want more people to try to like put themselves as writers in that challenge. Uh, Dreken asks, what does Liam O'Brien smell like? I don't remember. We got some weird fans, man. I'm sorry. I apologize for that one. But if I didn't ask, he would have given remember. me he would have given me hell for the next month and a half. Like I didn't ask him. Better than Liam's. Travis. There you go. See? That's that's the that's the perfect answer. Um yeah. Jamie Jazz, anything else? Uh if you had a chance to play a game in a different system for a different project, which system would you want to try out that you haven't tried out already? That I haven't tried out. Yeah. That's almost impossible to answer. <laughs> Ooh. I've been doing this for eight years. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
I've tried every system I want to play. Um, what system would I'm you want to think? I'm like looking at, I'm looking back here at my shelf to be like, is there a system I just haven't touched yet? What, what <laughs> one would you like to dive a little bit deeper into? If you've, if you've touched you a little bit of everything, which one would you like to kind of delve a little bit further into if given that, I mean, cause time is always, time is the, um, the, the, the foe of any, anybody working yeah. anywhere with anything. So if, if you had an infinite amount of time and an infinite amount of resources, what's the system that you, you've only been able to dabble in that you'd like to really go hard at? Whew. Um, man, that's almost, I got to really think on that one. That's a, that's a tough one. I'm not, hmm, yeah. I don't think about these things mm-hmm. too much, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like, uh, I'm always thinking like next story, next story, next mm-hmm. story. And I, I pick up a lot of systems. We play a lot of systems and then I never think about them again. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I do like, I see Gaika wrote in the, in the chat room, Alice is missing and I, and I have experienced it and I did dive pretty deep into it to see if there was a way we could do it in like a really unique way for entertainment format. Um, but uh, every step that we took, it was like, actually, we're detracting from it. Like, mm-hmm. the system is perfect for what it is, and it shouldn't be touched. Yeah. You know, like, this is one that we touch, we mess up. I don't mm-hmm. want to do that. Um, it's it's too good. Let it be Let it be an experience. Let it happen and, and leave it alone. Um, I think that um, I, I get really, I get sometimes drawn into art. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then I think the system is trash. But like... <laughs> the art might like grab me and I'll be like, Oh, this is juicy. This is, this Mm -hmm. is awesome. God, I'm trying to remember the one that's, it's like, it starts with a D and I'm trying to remember the name of it. D Mark. Ah, I had it at one point. Where did it go? Is it, it's not Dungeons and Dragons as it does begin with D's. There's (laughs) a lot of these. No, (laughs) No, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's I, God, I got it somewhere. It's too much stuff, but it was like, it was like one of those systems where I'm like, I really want to get into this mm-hmm. um, because the art was just the darkest and just grossest thing I had seen. And um, and then I started reading the system and I was just like, I would never play this. I would mm-hmm. never, ever play it. I just, it was too, it was like the art was phenomenal, but it was trying just way too hard to be its own version of D&D. Mm-hmm. And I think what I love the most about, and, and then it came out at around that time, 10 years ago. You know, whereas like now we're in this, like, I think in the world of publishing, there's never been a more exciting time yeah. uh, as to, to play games because people have seen like, you don't have to do D and D you don't have to. Now, if you're tied to an IP, you might have to, because you got to right. get the most sales and sales dictate what you're, you know, but sure. if not like do something super unique that thinks outside the box, like Bluebeard's uh, bride fucking like that's genius. Uh, you know, and Alice is missing. Um, th- those kinds of systems, uh, what's the, my, some of my viewers that are in here will know the one where you're in space, uh, it's just two astronauts lost in space and uh, you know, you're communicating through mm. a radio and it's a, it's a live play. That's just two people in space and you know, you're going to die. And it's just, there are certain live plays that in, in systems that exist out there that I think are. They, if you're a storyteller, you owe it to yourself to try because they they open up pathways in your brain. We're like, I didn't even think this was possible, mm-hmm. and, and and this is a, a form of storytelling you could achieve with these systems. 
Yeah, the the one that I've stumbled across recently was the skeletons. I think it's called where you basically play the undead guardians of a tomb that are reverse engineering <laughs> their way into their living yeah. identities yeah. based off of like, cool. and your character is defined as the necklace. So you're like the skeleton that has a an old necklace around it, and you build your narr- you reverse engineer your narrative from that. And there's a couple of questions. So it's cool. it's got it's definitely got a a little bit of a quiet year vibe to it because you actually draw in the your your skeletons kind of gear and accoutrement as you go through it so there's a visual kind of a, a quiet year element to it um but we're i'm gonna dig into that a little bit in the next couple of weeks I'll, actually i have an answer i just remembered i want to dive into banana chan's new game that is a demos academy uh dimos academy uh i think it's on kickstarter right now i i that's when i'm like ooh, i want to dive into that i want to dive into that i think banana chan's brilliant and I think anything that they're working on is going to be great. And I want to, I want to dive into that one. Cool. 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 Mm. Uh, Demos Academy just ended, I believe uh, Dr. Friedman says. Um, so cool, man. I think we're kind of getting at the back edge of time gang. I've got a, uh, we've, we've all got a, a couple things coming up. So uh, last minute questions from anybody in the chat or on the panel, and then I'll throw you guys out with your, your closeout question and we will wrap this sucker up. Cool. And, so, and, I, and I will say, like, if anyone ever has any questions for me, hit me up on Twitter. My DMs are open. And, yeah. and especially people trying to make stuff. I, I want to support people making stuff. That's, you know, just well, make stuff. And I will tell you, man, that's what's been really, really cool, especially for us over the last couple of months as we've, because we use our streaming stuff for more kind of community engagement, stuff like this. We keep the actual play to to the podcast for editing purposes and and really kind of diving into the community more, how how willing to engage people who we would define at the top tier of the community are with everybody else. Um, and certainly, I mean, it's, I think you guys sit in, in, sit, sit in that. B. Dave's been on our show recently, Dr. Yeah, Friedman. Yeah, B. Dave's awesome. The, um, the, 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 while every community everywhere has its share of asset hats, the TTRPG community, especially the Twitter TTRPG community, yeah. <laughs> um, has been, um, particularly welcoming and engaging for us. And we definitely encourage everybody to engage on that. Um, I know you have a first name, it, Dr. Freeman, it was, but it's one, I like to say Dr. Doctor. Friedman, it sounds You're really cool. And number two, it feels really impersonal to call, to, to call you, uh, to call you Emily Friedman. Uh, so Dr. Free, Dr. I also Fried- think we sound cooler when you refer to someone as doctor. It makes you yeah. think, you know, like, Oh, my friend, the doctor. Yeah, yes. Yes. Dr. <laughs> Friedman, uh, it's established, uh, TTRPG academic. I'm a part uh, of that circle uh, too. <laughs> I know yeah, yeah, yeah. Stashwick came on our show. That was kind of the the gateway to us being like, oh shit, people will talk to us. Um, and they're and they're, and they're cool. Well, I mean, it's, and, it's a niche. This is a niche world. I mean, yeah. it is. All of us that have been doing this for a long time know that, like, and and, and honestly, this is also one of the scariest parts. Mm. Uh, it's it's grown and it hasn't grown. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like, uh, so of those of us that have been doing it for a really long time, we know that like, this is niche and we all got to be supporting each other and we got to be helping each other succeed because, you know, there's only one critical role. And then even if you go to your next thing down from that, it's yeah. going to be performing at about one, one hundredth of success. Right. And everything else is in the exact same boat. We're all in the same boat together, you know? And like, I do shows on my channel that only have 80 people watching, you know, like mm-hmm. there's probably only 80 people watching our show right now that's going on. And, I, and we've been doing this for eight years, streaming 40 hours a damn week, you know, like yeah. it's a niche 
niche community that everybody should be helping each other out and everybody should be like lifting each other up and, and just making the best content we can make. Amen. Absolutely. So <laughs> I, I don't know, for, especially on our show. Um, uh, so on that right. note, guys, we're going to wrap it up then. Thank you, Zach, so much for your time. Our, our closing closing question for the panel uh, in in honor of the uh, uh, the visual creativity of Kolak, what is your favorite shot from a Stanley Kubrick film? Go. Oh. Mm-hmm. Kubrick, huh? Uh, do I get to go first? Yeah. Go you, yeah. We, uh, we, we always go in reverse intro order. So yes, it would be you first. All right. So then I guess it's a, uh, here's Johnny. From the shining. Breaking okay. through. Okay. Yeah. Breaking through the door. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. J- Jamie. Are you trying to think um, of another one? Was that the only one that you had? I, I, I hate the shining movie. Uh, so there's that, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I do not like it. Uh, but I, I'd say, Hmm. I, I full metal jacket, uh, 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 the scene at the end of the first half of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause it's basically two movies. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say Barry Lyndon, but then Barry Lyndon, but then I saw uh, the doctor's comment and I was like, oh, now I'm not just going to do it for brownie points. You know, there's some compositions in that movie that are extremely well composed, you know, using the foreground and the, and the background. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Then I'm going to go for an overall, an overall repetitive style that Kubrick uses that Mm -hmm. I like a lot, which is the Kubrick stare, which is Mm -hmm. the head down. You know, you've got oh, everybody's yeah. done the Kubrick stare in every movie. That's your like your your disconnected lack of empathy, lack of connection to humanity. Like you're no longer face up looking at someone like they're another person. You're like head down. You're like, that's it. Sanity's gone. You know, uh, Clockwork Orange. Uh, mm-hmm. um, all, 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 you know, all of them do it. But the, the, the Kubrick stare, that's like my favorite, like repetitive uh, tool that he uses. Yeah, it, so for it's me, a, it's a it's three shots in three different movies. I'll take that. <laughs> for, for me, it's anything and everything with Hal involving Hal. Hal is my spirit animal. Uh, so, Hal and look, thousand, yeah. Look, Doctor Freeman, this is just the beginning of our long form campaign to have you cast as the next Doctor Who. So that's why we will be referring to you as the Doctor <laughs> going forward. So I hope you like London. Anyway, on that note, gang, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks everybody for coming by, and hope you enjoyed the stream and or show in stream now. Hit button till Thank it you. stops. Uh, uh, and is it over? Okay, cool. <laughs>